Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian at UConn Hartford and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. It's Black History Month, and in this episode, Grading the Nutmeg talks to Dr. Benjamin Foster and State Representative Bobby Gibson about why they pursued legislation to require teaching African-American history in the public schools and what happens next. Hi, this is Elizabeth Norman, publisher of Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history, and I am here today with two gentlemen who I have come to know recently on a project that we're all working on together, and they are the leaders of this project. And uh, I thought that would make a really interesting conversation for our listeners, uh, particularly this month, which is Black History Month. I usually like to say every month is Black History Month, but it's, a, it's an important moment, I think, still to remind us that we need to focus on uh, everybody's history in Connecticut and the United States. So I have with me Dr. Benjamin Foster, longtime educator and school administrator, lecturer in the philosophy department at CCSU. He took the lead in creating a commemoration of 1619 here in Connecticut and spearheaded the legislation passed last year to require public schools to teach African-American history. And we're gonna talk more about that. But uh, before I introduce Representative Gibson, Dr. Foster, your list of accomplishments is so long. Would you like to add to that illustrious list of accomplishments? Well, thank you. Uh, I think um, what I'm most proud of is having received the Distinguished Service Award by the 400 Years of African American History Commission last August 25th. It commemorated 400 years of the African American presence. Uh, the award, uh, I was one of 30 individuals nationwide who were presented this award down at uh, Hampton, which was the uh, entry point for the uh, 25 odd uh, Africans who came into English-speaking America. And uh, the second uh, thing that I would uh, really like for the legacy is that I got together with uh, four or five individuals and uh, we moved this process through uh, to fruition of the current legislation that we have and I'll talk more about those individuals later. Great, great. And Representative Bobby Gibson, you're a middle school teacher here and we're here recording at Carmen Race Middle School in Bloomfield. Well actually, uh, good afternoon. Actually I am a school improvement specialist. Okay. Which means I work as a support to the principal and um, I support other teachers in their classrooms, as well as I do outside partnerships and bring other entities into the school, such as uh, local businesses and higher education institutions. And uh, I work with the children and with discipline and as well with school awards. And, uh, and you were elected to the Connecticut General Assembly in a special election in January 2018 and then re-elected to a full term in November 2018, correct? Yes, I was. And so tell us um, a little bit, and you represent Bloomfield and a portion of Windsor, and so tell us a little bit more about why you decided to run for office. The, the driving point is uh, is about leadership. And um, just like I have Dr. Foster here, he's one of my mentors. Uh, all of my mentors have been leaders. And so, I, actually, they've also been educators. So when you put the two together, um, 
this is what I've done all of my life, you know, being a teacher, being a, a um, school improvement specialist, being a team leader, being a head high school football coach, being the president of my fraternity, the Bosless, uh, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, um, and other leadership positions I've had when that opportunity came forth and being a lifelong resident of the Bloomfield, Windsor area, um, it was just a natural thing to go for. Um, I have some ideas on how to move Windsor and Bloomfield forward, as well as the state of Connecticut. So it was an opportunity, and um, I'm glad that I was blessed to achieve it. It's fantastic, I think, for any of our younger listeners out there who are thinking about what they might do in their future. Uh, What I see in Connecticut history is so many individuals who were just maybe started out as just a regular person and then they really got engaged in their community or they had an idea or they had a passion. They invented something. They ran for office. What I see and what I hope comes across in our materials is that we can all play a role in making Connecticut the place we want to live and make it a better place. And I think we have two examples with us here today. So I wanted to talk about your initiative to uh, and, the, and the legislation that passed to require the teaching of African-American and Latino history. But I think we do have to start by laying a little groundwork, which is really in terms of education. Connecticut is a state that lets every school district, of which there are more than 169 towns, there are 169 towns, there's more than that, districts, I understand, it lets them all set their own curriculum. And I think that's probably has some pluses, but I think it has a lot of minuses. And and I think it's also sown some confusion, too. Uh, there's also a lot of talk about teaching to the test, and uh, schools are required to do so much with too little time, and social studies, including history, isn't tested, so it's not taught or not much time is spent on it. I mean, the state does have requirements mandated for graduating from high school, and you do have to take a certain number of humanities courses and, and one elective. The state has also, had previous to this legislation, had mandated one area of teaching, which was the Holocaust and genocide studies. So tell our listeners, sort of walk through what, your, what you were thinking in that educational environment. I, I'm assuming it was born out of a frustration. Yes, it was, <laughs> for me. Um, with, uh, say, about uh, 50 years in this domain of... Uh, human services and uh, education, public education. And I'm a historian by training and inclination and have served as assistant principal, principal, district coordinator, lecturer uh, for years in uh, this state and other states. Uh, One of the things that I gleaned in my overall experience is that many of our young people, especially African-Americans, don't have the proper self-esteem. And part of the self-esteem comes from not knowing their magnificent past or the contributions that African-Americans have made to this nation and the world. So I said about both in the classroom as and as an administrator trying to ensure that African-American history was infused in the curriculum. That has been a long struggle because it's constantly been pushed back uh, due to, uh, I think, fear. Uh, many teachers, why do you want to touch that, you know, or, or it's over. Why do you want to talk about that? And 
uh, from my perspective, uh, it's just as we talk about European history or we talk about Asian history or anything else. And I also became very, very uh, discouraged because uh, I thought about the contribution that African Americans had made to the nation and its wealth, and that our young people just needed to know this. But let me tell you what uh, truly uh, drove me to do this. I became uh, principal of uh, Bloomfield High School um, in the mid-90s, and we were trying to encourage our students to do better with the uh, state test. And so I would be in the corridor saying, we're going to do this math and so forth, son. And when the kids started to say that math was for whites, that's when I knew that something had to be done. And so we started to bring in people from all over the nation that had expertise and were outstanding. And we were able to raise the money and bring in some excellent people. And the students really would listen to them. And so I saw that what they needed to have was examples, living examples. People would come in and talk to them about their history uh, achievers that they could say, oh, we do have mathematicians, we do have scientists, etc." cetera. And, and I continued that, you know, wherever I became an administrator and could uh, sort of make some decisions, I would do that. But I found I had to provide my teachers with intensive uh, professional development because they didn't know and you can't teach what you don't know. Okay, so fast forward to uh, 2018. I was contacted uh, through a historical organization that I belong to to inform me that we needed to lobby for legislation to be passed at the federal level uh, and it would be known as 400 years of African American History Commission Act. And so I got on board and we worked very, very hard with uh, uh, legislators at the federal level. And it just so happens that Mark Warner uh, was one of the sponsors along with Representative Bobby Scott and uh, Virginia, who was a, a, a fraternity brother of mine. And so, we were able to get that passed. Now, you do know that Mark Warner is originally from Connecticut. So it was just uh, wonderful to know that at the senatorial level, he was working with uh, uh, Bobby Scott who, uh, from Virginia, uh, both are Virginia legislators, but um, uh, Scott was in the House of Representatives. And so the legislation became uh, uh, law, January 18th of 2018, is called Public Law 115-102, 400 Years of African American History Commission Act. And so we started from that point on. I said, well, if we can do that at the national level, then we needed to do something here in Connecticut. And by the way, uh, another motivating factor was that I had uh, looked at the uh, book that you and uh, Stacy Close and others had published uh, where you uh, provided uh, cogent information about the role that uh, African Americans had played in Connecticut history. And so we started talking to people about doing something about that all around the country. 
But um, I met with Dr. James Thompson, who is the current superintendent of uh, Bloomfield uh, Schools. And being a Bloomfield resident, uh, he naturally uh, made the time to talk to me about this. And so he said, yeah, we, we need to do something, and let's see if we could do it. And then we met with Diane uh, Wentzel, who was a former commissioner, and her uh, uh, executive uh, to talk about uh, the legislation. And uh, she thought we needed to go for mandated as oh, opposed to the elected. So next we talked to our esteemed colleague here, Bobby Gibson, to ask if he would uh, uh, look into uh, sponsoring uh, legislation. And thankfully, he was on board from day one. So tell us about how you then proceed with a bill and, and it getting through. So I guess it was actually, you know, his plan for, for this to happen because it just so happens that, you know, Dr. Foster and the rest of the people he mentioned um, came together with this idea. And at the same time, I'm newly elected to the state legislature. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, I've, I've heard that, you know, people have been talking about doing this for the longest, but it just this was the time and this is the time. And, you know, maybe, you know, not mixing politics and with religion, but um, it just so happened that it's great that, you know, we just celebrated 400 years that now we've got this done. Because, you know, this story is actually America's story. You know, so we live in America. This is the great melting pot, right? And so in order for us to actually be that great melting pot where we all succeed, because that's what our society needs. Mm -hmm. We need for every aspect, every um, portion of society to do well, because if the least of us is not doing well, it affects the greater, the rest of us. And so we all need to do that. And so how do you do that? Well, one way is through education. Our children, no matter if you are black, white, yellow, brown, right, will benefit from knowing from one another. Because the more you understand one another, the more you know about one another, the more you can love one another, and we can live in a great place together. So that's what this, this is actually about. Because African-American history is American history. It's interwoven. And so and it's about respect. So, you know, just being a classroom teacher, you know, through the years, you know, I have kids, you know, come to me like, okay, well, Mr. Gibson, what country am I from? I struggle to tell them. Mr. Gibson, what language do I speak outside of English? I struggle to tell them. And there's other things out there that you would struggle with to help our kids know their true identity. Mm -hmm. And again, that's no matter what color the kids are. So when I was approached by uh, Dr. Foster and uh, Dr. Thompson, uh, along with um, Mr. Harris, who's the head of Board of Education here in Bloomfield. We came together and we put together a great plan. And then um, we started getting other folks involved, folks that Dr. Foster mentioned earlier. And we had a, a educational forum at the Bloomfield Board of Education. And I would say maybe 60, 70 people were there. Um, great turnout. And you would think it was only going to be just, you know, black people there supporting the, the cause. But, you know, we had a whole variety of different people, black and white, young and old, male and, male and female, great educators with great minds, just common folks who had an interest there to support what we're trying to do. From there, we gained more support. Um, we went around and started talking to different groups throughout the state. Then we had a second form. The second form was at the legislative office building. 
easily 100 people were there, mm-hmm. easily. And again, varying types of people from different walks of, of life. And we then we became we worked we continued to work hard to get support for the legislation. Again, going throughout the state, talking to different groups about the legislation, why it's important. And you'd be surprised how many people were behind us. And it was now they're like, this is the time. Again, it's mm-hmm. like the perfect storm. This is the time. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being called down to see a group in New Haven, the Students for Educational Justice, and they wanted to learn about the bill. And I thought I was just going to go down there and just meet them and say hi and for 15 minutes and. Uh, that was it. I spent over an hour just talking to these kids, and they had such passion about learning the history, about having to be taught, and having to be taught the right way. Mm. And, you know, from there, you know, I served on the education committee. It went before the committee. It, it made it past our meetings. It made it past our screenings, and it came time for us to have a hearing. So you, you ask about how, we, how do mm. you get a law passed? How do you lobby your legislators? Well, it's having an idea and being passionate about it, then holding meetings and getting the community and getting the, your, your area passionate about it, getting excited about it. That's what we did when we had those forums. And then you find out who your legislators are, and you got to get their attention as to why you want this legislation brought forth, why they should develop a bill then they, they have to do their part. They have to represent their constituents. Then they have to go forth in front of the committees and have the committees believe in what the constituents want. And so we called for a public hearing. And I tell you, it had to be, at, at one point, over 150 written letters and emails in support of the bill. And the night of the hearing, which went on for a couple of hours, I think, Dr. Foster, mm-hmm. I think you had to actually leave because you had a class that night right, or something. Right. It, it was just, it was just so many people there. It was, I would say, over 250 people were there. We had to have our main um, room where we heard, heard the testimonies and a second backup room, whereas people who couldn't fit in that the main room because of fire hazards. Right. And again, it was a variety of people from a variety of different walks of life. Um, we had superintendents there who waited because they wanted to have their their have their say. They want to say their testimony. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we have to do when we're behind a, a, an issue, and the issue that is so important as African-American history. So it went, bet- it went before the House, and we argued it on the, on the floor of the House. Mm-hmm. To be very honest with you, I was a little bit disappointed because um, it didn't pass unanimously. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some concerns I have with, to be honest with you, some of my colleagues um, in the House of Representatives as to why they didn't think um, this history should be taught. The excuses, in my humble opinion, I have to be very frank, there are some excuses that uh, have an air of something I don't like mm-hmm. as to why it shouldn't be passed. But I am very proud. It did pass overwhelmingly, but it did pass unanimously in the Senate. And so it became public law. So what got passed was an elective at the high school level would be required. But you had really originally wanted something much bigger than just an elective. And the Latino, Puerto Rican and Latino history came in. So the bill started out as, I think it was Bill 1009 or something of that nature. 5009, the first bill. So it was the African American History Bill. And then later on, as the, the session progressed, there was a second bill that was introduced. It was the Puerto Rican and Latino bill. And so what we decided to do, um, because, uh, you know, in education, you, you can only have so many classes you can yeah. teach, and um, so, you know, you have to sometimes make some type of concession. So we did merge the two bills. And so the, the bill is now called the African American Black um, Puerto Rican Latino Studies Bill. From that, we are actually trying 
to make it a little bit deeper and broader. Uh, so yeah, right now it's an elective from 9 to 12. We want it to be mandatory um, because, you know, in the course of the year, you know, students have different courses they try to take to fulfill their high school requirements. And so it's tough to just add, a, for a kid just to, to just take a class that's an elective. And another concern is that, um, you know, there's certain school districts that will teach it and won't teach it. So that's part of our, our, our thing now. So we're trying to, it's still it's twofold. We're still trying to create the curriculum, a quality piece of work, as well as still promote the bill and have people know the bill is there and why it's important. So I'm still going around and I'm talking to different groups and organizations about the bill, but to be very honest with you, what we really need is our state commissioner of education, Commissioner Cardona. He's the, the main man as far as education is concerned. We have to have him on board. I'm hearing that he is. Because if he's on board, he can. we need, then need to get the superintendents around the state to be on board and then the principals to be on board and not make excuses because this, this history needs to be taught. Mm-hmm. We'll return in a minute to Dr. Foster and Representative Gibson and their vision for the new curriculum. But first, the backstory on two publications referred to in this episode about the richness of the African-American experience in Connecticut, published by Connecticut Explored and available to listeners. For adults and high school students, African-American Connecticut Explored is a book of 50 essays by 30 scholars on the people and events that have contributed to Connecticut over four centuries. And brand new, our book for middle school students, Venture Smith's Colonial Connecticut. In this book, available in print and online, students learn about the founding of Connecticut through the first-person narrative of Venture Smith, who was kidnapped as a boy in West Africa, grew up enslaved in the colonies of Rhode Island, New York, and Connecticut, self-emancipated as a young man, bought the freedom of his wife and children, and as a successful colonial farmer, fisherman, and trader, published his life story in 1798. It's a true story of freedom in the revolutionary era. Find out more at CT History for Kids on Facebook, Instagram, and on the web at cthistoryforkids.org. And now, back to the episode. I was invited at, at Dr. Foster's invitation to be part of the CERC committee. There's a a lot of stakeholders getting involved in trying to create a curriculum, which uh, is is quite a, an ambitious effort. You you come to this from experience with kids, you know what how they're coming to you with just no understanding of their richness of their history and their heritage. Exactly. So, yeah. what what do you hope or your hopes with this? Well, for the content, uh, Elizabeth, I, I'm uh, very uh, hopeful that we will. Uh, be as comprehensive as possible. And part of the, the uh, problems that we faced with many of our young people today is lack of self-esteem. And uh, based on the history of African-Americans uh, having been uh, subhumanized, uh, going through uh, various forms of racism, some Jim Crow, and uh, the kids need to know that it's okay to be uh, African, it's okay to be black, and what we need to do, we need to start by pointing out some of the great highlights of the African past, uh, be it uh, ancient Ethiopia, uh, uh, 
empires in West Africa and uh, the great contributions that uh, these empires uh, made to world civilization uh, and to know that humanity, in fact, started in Africa. So that right away cuts through all of the divisions and so forth and the inferiority complexes that many of our young people have as it pertains to their status in white America. And so we want to start there. Then we will teach about how did enslavement start. And we have to be honest. We will look at uh, the various forms of slavery uh, in the world at that particular point in time. Uh, we'll look at the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, we'll talk about the various options that the people had who were captured, kidnapped, or sold. And um, I want to see that as a, a major part of the content. And then we will look at what took place once the people were brought to uh, what is now the United States, and then uh, their tenure here and their contributions and what they went through and so forth and, and right up until uh, the 21st century. But the highlights, the major highlights, because uh, in an elective course, you won't be able to cover everything, but we will try and help guide those people on the uh, content committee uh, with that understanding and make sure that we get those things included. You have, uh, one, two, three, four, so uh, about four people who are historians who have taught African-American history who will be on that committee. And for the others, uh, hopefully uh, they will listen and they will learn. And we will do the best we can to make sure uh, that uh, we provide them with our experience and uh, our knowledge base. There's a quote, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote from Sean uh, P. Diddy Combs. He has a quote that I had come across at one point that I really, it's kind of always been a touchstone for me. He says, if you study black history, it's just so negative, you know. It's just like, okay, we were slaves, and then we were whipped and sprayed with water hoses, and the civil rights movement, and we're American gangsters. I get motivated for us to be seen in our brilliance. What I find in there is an amazing encapsulation of 400 years of history and about four different, you know, very, he simplified it. But those are the things that are clearly are speaking to him about uh, a history and a pain that's difficult. And then he says, I'm motivated for us to be seen in our brilliance is the thing I always think about because in my study of African-American history as a, as a white person, I see so much brilliance that I always say it's a it's a hidden history, but it isn't even that deeply hidden. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, we have kids, white and black, who don't know this history. And mm -hmm. I agree with you 100%. This is American history. Mm -hmm. What would you say to P. Diddy? Well, see, Elizabeth, one of the, 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 the things that I have always been fascinated with as it pertains to hip hop, and when I teach, I let the kids know that hip hop is just a, uh, a continuation of bebop. Bebop started with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, etc. And uh, what the kids are doing today is because in the Bronx, they, you know, when you start cutting soft money in education and education finance, you generally cut out art. And so the kids were left without instruments. And so the late Jackie McLean uh, told me that they started to use the first instrument that God gave us, and that's the voice. 
But if you know anything about modern jazz and bebop, if you listen to uh, that and then listen to the kids today, they're, they're merely imitating the instruments. But the story that they are telling is disjointed. And that's when I, I teach this history. I have to tell them, no, I know what Nas said. <laughs> I know what Jay-Z said, but I'm telling you what really happened. They got up snatches of it. But listen, I put, I've spent all my life, my, my adult life studying this, so I'm telling you how it really happened. So what I'm really saying to you is that to talk about the brilliance is very important, but in order to understand uh, how really super stupendous the brilliance was given the circumstances that the creativity came in. You got to know what happened in the past. You got to know what happened in the past. And unless you know what took place then, it's hard to like, you just can't see. And that's what happens uh, today. And we started to see this when we started to talk about black studies back in the 60s and the early 70s when I was an undergraduate. It was just snatches. We were glad to get anything that we could get that showed us in a positive light. But, the, but, but what happened is, is that then we got there and we knew that we had people who had uh, created blood plasma, we had folks who created the, the first open heart operation in America, et cetera, et cetera. But how did those individuals get, how did they acquire that education? What struggles did they go through to get there? What were the stumbling blocks? And that's all a part of the individual and collective history that must be taught. But the, what we're overcoming, and as I said, many kids say that that was for, math was for white people, is because everything that's been taught primarily about uh, Africans and the African-American experience had been negative. You know, you had a lot of uh, folks who were sitting on the plantation and everybody was happy and docile and so kids don't want to talk about slavery because they see that. How come they were laughing and joking and, and not knowing that humor, no matter what condition you're in, is just a necessary part of being a human being, all right? But that was the negative piece, working on a farm. And I can recall, Bob, when we were trying to get the Harris Science Center. Mm -hmm. And so many of the parents were, what do you want an agriculture center there for? <laughs> I want my kids to know anything about farming. Mm -hmm. Not knowing that that's a science. But it was the negativity that was attached right. to Voke Ag. Mm -hmm. you, you follow me? Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing now with trying to put together a curriculum that would provide them with the knowledge of Africa so that they are not ashamed of being called uh, African-American or just black and then move it from there to what took place here and then the struggles that occurred and saying that as I'm fond of saying it's the greatest untold story in the annals of modern history. All right, this story of these folks who came and then we're able to make so many contributions to the American story. And so that's what we're trying to do. So, so beautifully said. Do you want to, can you add anything to that? <laughs> well, that, that's pretty tough um, <laughs> that's to, to follow. follow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just say that, you know, when you think about the history, from, from whence we've come, 
you know, that this, this, this United States, you know, when I go, go around and talk, I, I actually, when I spoke at the, um, the event for, uh, the, the Venture Smith. Venture Smith. Uh, the, the title of my talk was From Kingdom to Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And when I, I, I talk about that, I refer to the kingdom from which we've all come, the kingdom of Africa, a rich, beautiful land full of mathematicians and scientists and great kingdoms and kings and queens and, you know, the birthplace of civilization. And, you know, that's where, you know, the, the modern African-American, the modern black person has, has come from. Um, and, and you know, according to science, that's the history of the, the, the beginning of civilization. And to come from a place like you take the Venture Smith story, he was the son of a king and he was enslaved and he was brought from one kingdom across the, the, the Caribbean, across the diaspora, like many who made it all the way across and some stopped in different um, islands and some didn't even make the, make the journey. But to come over to America and to build up America. America was built on the backs of, of, of free labor. You know, if it wasn't, you know, for the, for the slaves, America wouldn't be the country it is today. And to come and someone like Venture Smith to um, buy his freedom, to buy his freedom for his family, to start a business and become interwoven into the fabric of America and to become part of America, the, the American history, the American dream, right? That's why we hear the American dream. And to come from one kingdom to the kingdom of America, if I may say. That, that is a story that needs to be told. And that is the story of, of many of us, the contributions um, of, of the, the black person um, here in this, in this country. And just legislatively, I would be remiss if I didn't like let the audience know like where, where are we going from here. So as you mm-hmm. alluded to before, so CERC is writing the curriculum and it's going to be a brilliant piece of work and we're going to make sure that it is, right? But in, in 2021, the curriculum is going to be ready to be vetted by the State Department of Education. Right. And at that point in time, you know, we're going to put our minds together. and We're going to look to expand the curriculum, whether it's uh, mandatory in high school or we go to K through 12 route. You know, we're going to strategically plan how we're going to expand this because it can't stay as just an elective in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2022, um, the curriculum may be offered. And then in 2023, it has to be in every course offering in every school in the state of Connecticut. But it's going to take some time because as the legislative session goes, last year we introduced a bill and they had a dollar a monetary note. This session, a short session, we can't introduce bills that you know, have monetary notes to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that means that in 20. Uh, 21 is when we can actually have another bill come forth that has a monetary note. 2022, non-monetary, 2023. So it's going to take a while to, you know, get this bill expanded and, and make it a quality piece of work. So I'm saying to you, you know, everyone, and you've already, you already have, has, have joined, join the team because it's going to take all of our efforts to get this bill, get this public law and this curriculum to where we want it to be. Because again, as we alluded, it's all of our history. And so it's gonna take a team to put it together. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for talking about this uh, topic for which you have so much passion. And I so much appreciate what you're all doing to advance this. I know we all wish that it just magically happened, but clearly it hasn't. It's been 400 years and it's still so much work ahead of us. Uh, I look forward to working on this project as one person of many who are making this uh, new elective happen. And uh, 
Also, um, you know, efforts that you continue to have, I'm on board with for uh, trying to get this in K-12, because I think my, my maybe naive feeling is if you can start with kids when they're little, before they've built up too many wrong ideas, uh, if you can get this in early to understand what American history is and what their place in it is, that, that then by the time they get to this high school elective, they're going to have been like, oh yeah, I got this. This sounds fantastic. Yeah. I'm definitely taking this class. That's where we want to go. And that's why uh, it's, it's a part of the people's history. And when we start to think in that perspective, you know, I think America will really be on the way you know, to really recognizing her tremendous potential when we look at everybody's contribution and it will make us a better people. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Dr. Benjamin Foster and Representative Bobby Gibson and Carmen Arace Middle School for hosting us. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Norman and engineered by Patrick O'Sullivan. For more great Connecticut history, subscribe to Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history, at ctexplored.org. You won't want to miss the current issue stories about disruptions in history, including Yuhuru Williams' story marking the 50th anniversary of the New Haven Black Panther trials. And for a daily dose of what happened today in Connecticut history, write to your email inbox. Subscribe at todayincthistory.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Walt Woodward for Grading the Nutmeg.